Well, we are, we're currently working our way through um, a series that we're calling Impact, uh, the challenge to impact a post-Christian culture. And uh, sociologists have come up with a name for the world that we live in today, the culture we live in, and that name is post-Christendom or past Christianity, if you want to think about it in those terms. There, there was a day in our culture when Christianity, uh, the gospel, scripture, Christian values um, were held in wide agreement in our country. And today we can just no longer assume that any of that is true. Christianity used to hold power in our country, and perhaps many of you can think of those times when you've experienced that. In the past, it was assumed that if someone was running for public office, they were a politician, it was assumed that they were a Christian and that they were a church-going Christian, right? We could assume that. There was a day when we could pray in school, and that was seen as normative, there was a day when our society norms, our morals and values actually mirrored scripture, at least similarly. And we can no longer expect that to happen anymore today. We are in a post-Christian world. We are experiencing a shift away from a Christian society. And that means that we as Christ followers need to shift as well. Now, that's, what I'm not saying is that we need to give up the things we believe in. We do not need to shift our unwavering belief in the triune God and the power of the gospel and what it means to truly follow Jesus. We don't shift on those things. But what, what I mean is the way that we approach our culture today, we have to change. We have to approach it differently. We can no longer assume that it's business as usual. We can no longer assume that people have any idea who Jesus is, and we can no longer assume that the church is viewed positively in our culture anymore because the facts are it's not. Today, to be an authentic Christ follower holds more weight than perhaps any other time in our culture. Because today, all of us who authentically follow Jesus, people are watching us, and people do not see a whole lot of Christ followers anymore. More. And so every single thing we do and the way we act and the cause we are after, people are watching. And you may be, and I may be, the only Jesus people experience. It's a tremendous task. And so in this series, what we've been trying to do is discern what it looks like to make a real impact for the kingdom in this new world we find ourselves. And last week, we talked about an impact in the workplace. This week we talk about an impact through families because today we have never had an opportunity to make an impact like we do today. It really is an exciting time to be the church. Uh, the scripture reading this morning is two passages, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, and then Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And uh, Daniel Winton has graciously agreed to read scripture for us. And what we do here is we stand, if you are able, and we face the scripture as it's read. And we do so because we believe the Bible is our highest authority and it is also the story of the gospel of Jesus. So go ahead, Danielle, when you're ready. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. 
Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you, Danielle. You may be seated. So let's talk about families this morning. Now, I don't know how you are feeling about your family, but I'm going to assume it's probably similar to the way I feel about mine, and that is family life today feels a little bit hectic. Anyone agree with that? I thought so. Uh, there was actually a, a Pew, the Pew Research Institute did a study recently about this, just the, the crazy nature of what it means to be family today. They titled their study, Raising Kids and Running the Household. And I want to read some of these stats for you because you may resonate with them. Let's just see. Um, listen to this. Today, nearly 50% of households are two-income households. Now, this means that half of all households in the U.S. today have two full-time working parents. And the reason they do is because they have to pay bills and that's the only way they can do it. Today, only 26% of households are single income. And that number is falling every single year. Only a quarter of families today are single family income. Let's move on to the more interesting stats. You ready for this? 56% of parents today say that they struggle balancing raising their kids and their work life. They struggle balancing both at the same time. Uh, only 50% of parents say that parenting is enjoyable most of the time, and everyone said amen. <laughs> but think about that. 50% of families today find parenting unenjoyable at least half the time. That's incredible. 39% of parents say they are tired nearly all the time. 32% of parents say they are stressed nearly all the time. 40% of parents say they feel rushed nearly all the time. About 50% of parents, listen to this one, say they don't spend enough time with their kids and they feel like they're letting their kids down. So let me just paint the portrait here of America's family. You ready? Overworked, tired, stressed, rushed, and a feeling like they are letting their kids down. Is anyone resonating with this at all? I'm assuming some. You know, I've been thinking about this study lately and thinking about what it means to, as a family, make an impact for the kingdom. And, and it, I was, Tuesday night, I was thinking about my day that I had just had, and I want to share it with you. This is not complaining, by the way. This is just a case study, so take it for what it is. But here was my day on Tuesday. You ready? Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning for breakfast with a friend. Went into the, work, went into the church after that. 
and then I worked at the church until somewhere around five. At five o'clock, I left the church, and then I went to pick up my kids, and we had to grab a quick bite of eat because a quick bite to eat because they had to head to their schools to meet their teachers for the first time and, and find their uh, desks. And so I pick up the kids, we run actually to Denny's, we grab a 30-minute dinner, and then we sprint on over to the church, or not the church, the school, there we go. And then uh, after we, we spent about a half an hour at the school, left the school, came back to the church, and I had to prepare for a meeting a second, so I prepared with kids in tow, prepared for the meeting, left the church, went home, dropped the kids off, left, went off to this meeting at 7.30 at night, finished the meeting at 8.30 at night, got home, put the kids to bed, ran into my bed, and turned on Seinfeld as fast as I could because that's what you do at the end of the night. Now, here is what I realized about my Tuesday. Are you ready for this? It wasn't that abnormal. It was a normal Tuesday for me. And I'm gonna guess it's a normal Tuesday for you too. Friends, soccer season hasn't even started yet. <laughs> so when we talk about maximizing our impact through our families, many of us this morning may be thinking, I'm not sure that I have more time to add another checkbox to my already long list of things to do. And you might be thinking, I think I might wanna just check out of this one because there is just no way. How can my family make an impact if our plate is already so full? But here's the thing. Maximizing our impact through our families is not something to do. It's something to be. You know, we read uh, two scripture passages this morning, one from Deuteronomy 6, and, one, and then the other one is from Matthew 5. Let me just zoom in on the Deuteronomy passage just one second, and let me read it just one more time so it's fresh in our memory. Listen to this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And here's the part you may recognize. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Th this passage in Deuteronomy contains what some of us might recognize as the Shema. The Shema has been used as a Jewish prayer for thousands and thousands of years. Now, if, if you read the chapter right before the, the passage we just read in Deuteronomy, you will find essentially the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, you can look at those and say, what this sums up is the Jewish law or God's commandments to his people. In our passage this morning, it aims to do a couple things. One, the Shema gives the reason to follow God's commands. 
It's the way we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength. We follow God's commands. That's what loving God looks like. Two, the Shema gives the framework for following these laws. Essentially, everywhere we go, we should be reminded of God's commands and thus we'll be encouraged to follow them. You know, if, if we were a Hebrew people in the time that Deuteronomy was written, what we would do is uh, we would understand the Shema to mean that God's command should, should saturate every single aspect of our lives. Every place we go, everything we think, when we're sleeping, when we're awake, all of it should remind us of God's commands. So, in some sense, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, or the Shema, if you want to call it that, is the guiding story for the Hebrew people. It's what it is. It's the story they constantly reminded themselves of and constantly tried to live into. That, that this world is God's. And there is a way that God wants his people to interact in this world. And following that way is actually what loving God looks like. In fact... Many Jews even today recite this passage over and over and over again. They use it in their homes. They use it in their faith communities over and over and over again. And they do so for a reason. And the reason is this. To remember. Remember why you are here. Remember what your aim in life should really be. Remember that in everything you do and are and be in all of it, that loving God should be at the center of all of it. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 is a reminder to pursue and live into God's will in the world and to make that the very highest priority in life. Let's talk about families a second. And for the record, families. Parents are family. Grandparents are family. Great-grandparents are family. And singles and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and sons and daughters. They're all family. Now, family... If the Shema was the Hebrew people's guiding story, what is our guiding story? What in life are we aiming for and that when we reach it, we can call ourselves successful? What is our highest priority in life? What, what is that one thing at, in life that trumps absolutely every other thing? You will give up everything for this one thing in life. What is it? I can make a list, but you probably know it, right? Money, retirement, vacation. For some of you, might be hunting. I don't know. To give your kids the most amazing childhood to be carefree, to not care about a thing in the world. That's the goal. Maximizing our impact through families 
will be dependent on the story our families are trying to live into. Let me zero in on parents out here just a second. There are a couple of principles I think that would help us here. Here's parenting principle number one. Your priorities and highest aspirations in life, parents, will probably be the priorities and aspiration of your children too, probably. Our kids watch us. They mimic us. They admire us until they hit middle school and then something crazy happens. Our kids watch us very closely, probably more closely than perhaps we even realize. And, and what they watch, they will try to emulate. In other words, our kids are trying to be us. Now, I've never read Gary Chapman's book on the seven love languages. Perhaps you have, and you can correct me, but I'm pretty sure one of them has to be picking on people because that is my love language. You know I like you if I pick on you. It's just, it's who I am, I guess. Anyway, often at, at our house, uh, my kids and my wife know that when they're walking and there happens to be a corner to turn down, that is scary territory. Because if they walk and they turn, it is possible that someone may jump out and scare them, perhaps to death. It's possible. And now that I think about this, it feels a little sinister or something. It's not good. Anyway, often my kids or my wife will be walking around the corner just in time for me, the predator, to get its prey. And I will pounce and jump out and make a really loud noise and they're like, ah! Perhaps you dads have done something like that. Anyway, well recently, one of our children audaciously, audaciously attempted to put the same move on my wife, Becca. So she was walking and she rounded the corner and our sweet, innocent child jumped out at her and made a loud noise and my wife dropped her basket and made a shrill cry. It was a real work of art, by the way. And, uh, but a little frustrated, my wife yelled at my child and said something like, why would you do something like that? And the reason is a classic dad moment, at least for me. Well, dad does it all the time. <laughs> you see, our kids copy our mannerisms. They, they, they copy our jokes, they emulate them, and they emulate the big picture stuff too, the big stuff, the story they choose to live in and the, and the things they pursue in their lives, the things that they go after without abandon often look very similar to what parents are after. And here is the thing. This is true of our kids' spiritual lives as well. Parenting principle number two, are you ready? Our kids' spiritual lives will probably look similar to our own. Probably. Probably. Our kids will attempt to emulate our faith 
as parents. They will emulate our love for the Bible or our apathy for the Bible. Our kids will emulate our dynamic prayer lives or they will emulate our non-existent prayer lives. Our kids will emulate our deep commitment to the church or our non-commitment to the church. Our kids will emulate our fiery passion to follow Jesus or our half-hearted attempt to follow Jesus. Parents, our kids are watching us. I'm assuming all of us parents in the room, we deeply desire to see our kids grow up and have a dynamic, passionate faith where they are in love with Jesus and they want nothing more than to follow Jesus. But parents, we set the standard. We set the standard. And in some sense, that's the challenge. And I think this is true not just of parents, by the way. I think it's true of, of aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. It's true of all of us. So how are we doing? What story are we trying to live into that our kids are trying to copy? And if it's not God's story, then how can we possibly expect our kids to live into God's story. And perhaps, what steps are there that we can take to try to pursue God's story as parents? Maximizing our impact through families should be rooted in loving God with all our heart and soul and strength. In many ways, the guiding principle of the Hebrew people in Deuteronomy is the same for us, to love God with all our heart and soul and strength. If our guiding principle in life is loving God, then it will probably, probably, probably be the same for our kids and our grandkids as well. And this is one of the most important things we do as families. We want to make an impact that starts with our kids and our grandkids. As families, we are incredibly busy, but what if at the center of all the busyness that makes up our lives, what if at the center of it was a deep, dynamic love of God? What if? It was. Imagine the example that would set for our kids and our grandkids and nieces and nephews and our kids' friends. Imagine the example. It would truly make an impact on the future of our kids. But our kids' faith is not the only impact we are called to make because maximizing our impact through families is for the world too. And this is where we touch on our Matthew 5, 14 through 16 passage. I'm going to assume that most of us have forgot it, so let me read it again. Listen to this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When our primary goal as a family is to love God with our whole hearts and mind and strength, when we actually live a life doing this, we become light. And our goal is to share that light with, from our families to the whole world. You know, in a post-Christian culture, the priorities in our lives will be the way we shine our light of the gospel to the world. 
The way we live our life today matters, especially as families. Because our family may be the only image of Jesus people ever get to see. And it includes our kids, by the way, too. They, too, have a responsibility to be light. You know, it's one of the questions we ask a lot is, well, what role do kids have in this whole going out into the world and being a light thing? Like, what, is there an age of accountability here? Like, when do they start doing their job? And, you know, we assume, you know, adults, of course, of course adults are supposed to be a light to the world, but we're just not sure about kids. You know, several years ago, I was at a church, and the pastor of the church, his name was Pastor Rob. And Pastor Rob was a very successful pastor. He had money and fame and book deals. He had all of it. And I remember one particular Sunday, he, was, he began to tell his story about the recent life change. And you see, what happens with fame and money is you usually get to move to the nice part of town. And so he bought a really nice big house in a nice suburb in the nicest part of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then in prayer, he had this moment where he realized something's got to change. And so in almost a rash decision, they sold all their stuff and they bought a house in the worst part of town. Western Grand Rapids, where crime was abundant, where drug deals were abundant, where there were needles on the sidewalks, a place like that. And they bought a house there. And that's not even the most important part of the story for him. The most important part was what it did to his kids. He shared about what his kids did in a neighborhood like that. Because moms and dads in a neighborhood like that were hardly present or not present at all. And he shared that he was surprised because his kids were being light in the darkness. They were treating the marginalized kids at school and in their neighborhood like Jesus would treat them. And, and he had the fear, right, that parents have that, you know, his kid might pick up a terrible habit or bad behavior, or get in with the wrong crew, who, who knows what happens, but it just wasn't the case because his kid's guiding principle was his, and that was we follow Jesus with every single thing we've got. And the kids brought their light to the neighborhood and the school, and the light began to spread, and as he told the story, remember, he broke down in tears. And that's what happens, guys, when our guiding principle, the, the guiding story of our lives, we go and we go after it and we start to see it come to fruition. It brings tears because it's so great. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying all of us parents need to sell our houses and move to the, the worst part of town or the worst neighborhood in your town. But what I am saying is our kids have the capacity to be a great light in the world. And in order to do so, our kids in some way need to be in the world. And that parents and grandparents, that takes an act of faith because it's scary. What happens if they fall in with the bad crowd? What happens if they get hurt? What happens if it turns their life somewhere backwards? But we have to have faith as family that our kids can make a huge impact in the world. You know, God sent his child, Jesus, into the world to be light and it cost God, it cost Jesus everything. 
but the impact was eternal. Now, I'm not saying our kids are saviors. Perhaps our kids think they are. They're not, it's okay. But our kids can make a huge impact around them, perhaps in a way that none of us can because they can, they can reach the kid in their neighborhood, at their school, in a way that no one else can. And yes, it is risky, but in order to be light, you have to be in darkness or the light just doesn't matter. And the impact will be eternal. Maximizing our impact through our families. The question is, is the gospel this morning our family's guiding story? Is it? And if so, and I hope it is, how is each of our family shining that gospel light in our daily, busy family lives? Are we headed into the darkness as families to be light to the world around us? I mean, imagine if all of us took it that seriously, the kind of impact that could make right here. It would be eternal. Let's pray. God, we come to you thankful for your son, Jesus, who you sent to be a light to the world, and it cost him everything, but it made an impact for an eternity, and it brought us close to you. God, we pray that that your light shine on all of us and we shine it and reflect it to the world around us, that we, that we light up the darkness in our neighborhood, in schools, in cities, in workplaces, and especially our families. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.